Welcome to 2021 and truth to power, happy hour. We are at the start of a brand new year here on Forward Radio, gathering friends from our community to have conversations about things you won't hear anywhere else on your dial. That's what we do on this grassroots community radio station. My name is Justin Mogg. I'm a programmer here at Forward Radio. I do a show called Sustainability Now, and I'm delighted to have uh, three other programmers in the virtual studio with me today. Uh, our usual co-host, Hart Hagen uh, from The Climate Report. You can hear every day on this station at 7 p.m. Welcome, Hart. Uh, welcome to you, Justin. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's great. Great to get you in the virtual studio. Lonnie Greasebaum's back with us from Backtracks. Welcome, Lonnie. Glad to be here. Yeah, and Jeanette Westbrook is here again uh, from the Human Factor, hoping to get her back on the air as much as possible, our, uh, our resident social worker. How are you doing at the start of this new year? <laughs> Well, is that for me, Justin? How much do you yeah. want to know? Well, I'll tell you what. Um, you know, uh, I, I, I am very uh, hopeful for a lot of reasons. Of course, the big reason is the regime change. Right, right. <laughs> and uh, so I think we can get some things going there. Um, the issue with the vaccines. Oh, yeah. And get those revved up. And I don't think that's going to happen until... Um, January the 20th, quite frankly. You know, Jeanette, I know there's a difference between therapists and social workers, but I want to let you know that I was just in a, a, a Zoom meeting with friends uh, for New Year's, uh, and one of them, a new friend I hadn't met before, says that she is a therapist. And even though she does most of her work virtually now, she's already got the vaccine. Therapists in, I think this was in Virginia, were uh, first in line as essential workers to get the vaccine. I was like, wow, I never thought that would be the case. That's so cool. So what do you think? Where are you on the list, Jeanette? <laughs> I will be on that uh, second tier coming up as an essential worker. Very cool. Uh, yeah, yeah, I will be there now. Unfortunately, for the folks that I deal with, there isn't a virtual way Option. to do it because right. the folks that I work with are uh, indigent, poor, and and don't really possess the infrastructure to even do it. Okay, that's that digital divide that is is so much an issue in yeah. our poor communities. So, do you, do you um, work with people in prisons as well? I work with people who have gotten out of jails yeah, okay. and prisons that and that have really gotten themselves a little trouble because of drugs or alcohol. Mm -hmm. And so um, the impairment, while you might have someone who's not actively using, you still have some impairment. Mentally. Okay. So it's not conducive to working with those folks in person. Yeah. But as soon as I get the vaccine, I will have some other options uh, to do that. But you really have to have that one-on-one -on -one presence to work with people that are uh, with drug and alcohol users that are not sober. 
Well, I'm encouraged to hear that it's not just the medical doctors, uh, but but also folks on the social front lines who are uh, at least towards the front of the line for for uh, getting the vaccine, because that that is really essential work and it's going to have to continue. And there's more and more people in crisis every day. Thanks not just to the pandemic, but that's certainly been a huge factor for folks. Um, Somehow the. The stock market keeps doing well in spite of the fact that none of us, you know, have our jobs anymore. And uh, <laughs> this, this, what? this that's why the stock market is doing well. Yeah, tell us. Because they can drive wages down. Yeah, and <laughs> buy up assets and buy at fire sale prices. Yeah. Yeah, it really shows bare what the true economic indicators ought to be if we were thinking about the the welfare of people and not corporations who we call people now. Right? Well, uh, slavery is where people are property, corporations are where, no, let's see, how's that go? People, slavery is where people are property, uh, corporations is where property is people, you know, with all the rights yep. of, anyway. Yeah. Just thought I'd throw that in there. Just food for thought. Absolutely. Uh, so what are we feeling about an economic rebound in this new year? Um, how, how are you all feeling about that piece of it? Back to normal. I mean, normal, you know, do we want normal? Is, is what I would say. What does normal look like? You know, normal looks like chewing up the planet. You know, normal right. looks like chewing up people and spitting them out. Right. At what point will, you know, caring for people be the number one uh, the number one priority of our public policy instead of false and misleading ideologies like American accept so-called free market. I mean, you know, we need to get our priorities straight. We yeah. need to restructure everything so that normal is something that works for people. But when you have, you know, 40,000 people dying per year because they don't have health care, then that doesn't work for people. And uh, anyway, don't get me started. <laughs> don't get me started. <laughs> what do you all think about what, what do you all think about getting back to normal? Are you, what are your hopes, you know, for the economy, well, et cetera, Alani? As far as the economy goes and, and the Dow Jones, <clears throat> most all of that now is fictitious value. Uh, you know, and, and my, the way I feel about it now is the fact that heterodox economists like uh, Steve Keen or Bill Mitchell, Michael Giannis, Hudson. Michael Hudson or Giannis Varoufakis. Right. The fact that none of these brilliant men uh, are included in any of the conversations about the economy that they're totally ignored uh, is is it's appalling. And the the truth about the the Dow Jones is the government is putting out money, basically creating zero interest money and hoping that that's going to trickle down well here's here's the basic thing in a nutshell they pump all this money into the banks right and they're hoping that the banks will lend that money for productive purposes like hiring people and building new plants and equipment and all that but the banks have a problem because when the economy the real economy is bad and people aren't buying products, there's no reason for a company to put on an extra shift or build a new plant mm. in order to, to build more products that they, they're worried about selling the ones they've got. So they don't borrow the money from the banks, even at un, unbelievably low interest right, rates. Right. And so what happens to that glut of money? The banks use it to buy back 
securities. They lend it to to companies to buy back their own stock, Hmm. which just drives the stock price up. So if you look, for instance, the Dow at the low was 64.93 or something like that in 2009. Now it's at 30,000. So so what's the percentage gain there? From 6,500 to 30,000. What's that? Five times, times, right. That's a 500% increase. Sure. But if you look at the increase in GDP, which is the total produced of actual production in this country over that same period, it's barely 9%. Oh, my God. So how could the real economy grow at 9%, but the valuation of the stocks goes up 500%? (laughs) So most most of that wealth it's fictitious wealth. It's only there because they're buying it and holding it, figuring some other sucker down the road will pay even more for that stock. So, so it's, de- it's a Ponzi scheme. So despite your cautious optimism for 2021, Lonnie, right. sounds like you think we're on the edge of a bubble that's about to burst like we saw oh, I, in 2009. I, I don't see how you can see anything other than a bubble. And when you look at those people that I mentioned, every one of those heterodox economists every one of those guys predicted almost predicted the time it would happen the last crash wow so with Biden, yet we won't listen to those guys with, you know krugman and the rest of them missed it greenspan missed it they all missed it they were like deer in the headlights when the thing went down hmm. but we'll listen to them time. but they won't listen to the other guys you know what what's that jeanette I take a little different take on this because there are still a lot of people working yeah. from home virtually. Okay. There are a lot of companies still up and running. Here's where I think the divide is just like the digital divide. It is a class and race divide with the essential workers and the hands-on folks that are on the front lines. Those are the ones that are losing, losing, losing. And if you look at, you know, uh, what the Grim Reaper just said, right, that America has done enough for Americans in the pandemic and called a $2,000 stimulus check, <laughs> which really would help folks, as a, a as socialism for the rich, mm. even though the people that are eligible for it are making $75,000 and below. Okay, so I don't know where the rich is, but Hmm. when you're talking to a guy who's $48 million rich, it might mean something different. Uh, But really, it is a basic view that the haves have towards the have-nots, which in some circles they refer to as the useless eaters, (laughs) <laughs> as, as cogs in the wheel i feel right? pretty loose, useless don't you? They are poor they are poor because they don't work hard they are poor because uh they're short a few french fries they are poor because uh of they have a whole litany of lists that are not scientific moral ethical or anything else so what you really have here is that continuing divide of the haves and the have-nots. Well, here's the news. 
the have-nots are saying, we're not going to take it any longer. Mm. We're not going to settle for this because Black Lives Matter and what we've seen in the social upheaval isn't just about racial issues. It's about classism, colonialism, and a whole bunch of other isms where the have-nots are rising up and saying, uh, we're done with your exploitation. We're done with the food deserts in our community. We're done with not being able to have safe housing. We are done with the continuing, um, you know, be careful, don't get pulled over with, you know, a gun. Be careful being pulled over by the police. But isn't this the same yep. argument exactly that we were having in 1876. No. Don't you remember that? I remember that, don't you? <laughs> Not quite. Lonnie, were you around? <laughs> it's possible. I, I wouldn't know, Lonnie, because... He was just a kid. But no, th then. this is not new. Well, we women, a, women, we had, women couldn't vote. Women were slaves, too. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Property. But it's always been a class conflict the argument between uh, uh, Adam Smith and Marx and the whole thing has been a deal about consolidating wealth into the hands of a few. It's been that way. The Gilded Age, that's what it was all about. We had a brief respite hmm. starting in about 1932 with FDR. We had a brief respite in this that lasted up until about 1970. Hmm. It was the rise of the labor unions. And, and, right. And then the fall of the labor unions, which was orchestrated in the beginning by guys like Harry, uh, Barry Goldwater. And they've been tearing it down ever since. But there was just a brief respite. Capitalism has always had this same, we've had the same argument over and over again uh, it was as, it was as bad as now in the 1910s and 20s it was it was it was terrible and we look at the 20s and think oh it was great all the flappers and the people you know uh, we were starting to produce cars and we were pr producing all this stuff but there was already an underclass mm. developing huh. Hmm. When we had Hoovervilles, mm -hmm. we ended up with Hoovervilles. Central Park in New York City was full of shanties, shanty towns of people that couldn't afford to live anywhere else. Those were the homeless back then. So uh, this is not a new argument. And I think that's where we really, if we really want to know how to get out of this, we need to go back through history and look at how did we get out of this in the 30s? What did we do? And even then, we didn't do enough. But at least we have some idea. And what we had back then was the left was united. It was solidarity. Mm. It didn't matter. It didn't. Ma it didn't matter whether you were the Socialist Party or the Communist Party, which both of them were really strong in the twenties. We forget that they had power. Places like Oklahoma, the majority of their state house was was were socialists. That's hard to believe now. Yeah. The, the rural people were getting hit so hard back then that they were socialistic. Mm -hmm. and, and, but the, the solidarity between them and then the labor un unions and, and the other uh, 
groups on the left was solid mm. and they put their smaller differences aside and mm. said, no, on this, on this, we're together. Mm. You are going to have to help the lower class or we're going to, you're going to see what, like what happened over across that ocean back in 1917. Mm. You know what happened over there in 1917 in Russia. And that, and that was the fear they put in the rich that, look, you can give us some now or they're going to take all of it from you. But they were, they had solidarity. And I think there was a rise in 2020 of, of some more solidarity, especially around the back black lives matter issue, uh, especially solidarity across the races. I think, uh, yeah. not enough, but more than we've seen in recent decades, for sure. Uh, I was slightly, uh, excited, I guess. I don't know what word to use by, by the news that came out just at the end of the year that the city is finally considering firing two of the police officers involved in Brianna Taylor's murder. Yeah. <laughs> now, yeah. why did it take until December 30th of 2020 uh, for this woman who was killed in March? Uh, it's just unbelievable that the wheels of justice uh, took that long. And it, I don't even know if you can call it justice. I mean, uh, firing them is hardly uh, the the what 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 I would say full accountability requires, right? Um, but maybe there's some progress on that front. Yeah, you get you get fired from Walmart. You know, yeah. So what? <laughs> oh my goodness, uh, we're having a freewheeling conversation about the uh, the start of the new year here on Truth to Power uh, here on Forward Radio, your community radio station, uh, broadcasting out of the top of the Haven Building at 106.5 FM, and we live stream when the computers working at forwardradio.org we're hoping to get that fixed and back up and running this uh this week hopefully uh by monday um but uh anyway uh we're we're talking about uh, the year to come and reflecting on the year just passed and and hart i know you've got some more things in your chest <laughs> well i wanted to ask uh, lonnie uh, about you know lonnie you're into economics and there's this oh, yeah. thing called modern monetary theory yeah. and i wanted to give a little warm-up like you know, we have this illusion that says there's a free market, which seems to indicate that the government is neutral as between the haves and the have-nots that Jeanette was talking about. But I wanted to just just this week, there's there's been uh, there's some confusion as to which COVID relief bill passed. But you know, the CARES Act back in March was a disaster. If you look at you know, it's like being charged twelve hundred. It's like getting twelve hundred dollars from your credit card, but having to pay back thirteen thousand dollars. You know, the there was there's some. You know, we we got a little bit in terms of that twelve hundred dollar payment, and then we owe a lot. But by adding to the national debt, all the money that was thrown thrown at Wall Street, thrown at cruise companies, thrown at airlines, very much picking winners, like they. Try to say they're not in the business of picking winners, but they're they're just throwing money at at rich people, showering the richest people with lots of government money, and then and then there's this COVID uh, relief bill, which included uh, the following: it's like uh, two two point four billion on democracy programs, and you know what they mean by democracy. <laughs> We're going to bring you know, when when Venezuela had all that oil, we knew we had to bring the democracy. Oh my goodness! Like how many people know Nicolas Maduro, but they don't know who is the president of Colombia and what have they been up to with our money? 
but uh, you have 6.1 billion in foreign military financing. For this is in the COVID relief bill. Mm. We gave uh, $6 billion for domestic procurement of U.S. Air Force missiles. Uh, in addition to the 70, $740 billion we passed for defense in December, we have um, 300 million being uh, paid for countering Chinese influence funds. So we're going to counter Chinese influence, 300 million for that. And then uh, some of that goes to a CIA cutout called the National Endowment for Democracy. Now, William Bloom was author and a journalist who said uh, democracy is America's deadliest export. So we're exporting democracy all over the world, and oh, it's a, wow. it's a, but it's a deadly business, like National Endowment for Democracy. It's just a CIA front organization. And then, la, not last but not least, in my very short list of catastrophic things that happened in, in this COVID relief bill, 3.3, um, well, 3.3 billion to Israel just to spend on whatever they want. Uh, you know, 3.3 3 billion of military aid to Israel. Like Israel doesn't have enough, you know, Israelis have health care, but we're going to give them money for military aid. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. How does that relate to MMT? Okay. My, my point is that, you know, I heard Michael Hudson say that every successful economy is a mixed economy. It's not completely free market. It's not completely yep. government driven. Government has always been very proactive in the American economy, but the people aren't supposed to see that and the people aren't supposed to understand that. They're supposed to understand that we're defending ourselves against communists and terrorists yeah. and all that stuff. But the, you know, the government has a lot of money to spend and modern monetary theory teaches that if we're a major government, not a little government, but if we're a major government, we can print all the money we want. Mm -hmm. And the question is how we're going to spend it. Are we going to spend it on well, showering money on rich people, or are we going to spend it on investing in things that we need, like giving people money for stuff that they need? Right. You know, $2,000. Uh, every other major country right. is, is doing is giving people money. So, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, let me let me address that a little bit because I've I've been knee deep in MMT theory for quite a while. <laughs> uh, I don't want to get down in me. the I don't want to get down in the weeds on it because it can get really complicated. But by the way, if you're really interested in MMT, Bill Mitchell or Steve Keen are the two guys you want to follow. Okay, uh, you're right. Uh, it's not how much money you go in debt for it's what you do with that money. Mm. Are you, are you investing that money in development in things that are good for society or, or are you just uh, padding the pockets of, of a few wealthy people? That's the big problem. Now what MMT says is that because you print your own currency, if you trade in your own currency, and particularly if your currency is the world's reserve currency, for now it is, Chinese currency is probably going to end up being the reserve <laughs> currency. But uh, if you do all, if you are in that situation, then there is no limit to how much money your government can print, can print. Because the only way a government can tax can collect taxes which is a way of taking money out of circulation is to 
be able to put money into circulation. So that's the whole theory behind uh, money in the first place. That's why they came up with the central bank in the late 1800s and came up with greenbacks. I mean, mm. that was the only way they could get tax money back. So, uh, but there are limits, even in MMT, there are real limits to any economy and the, those limits are your resources. That's, that's labor, land, equipment, technology, natural resources. When you get, when you run low on those, those are the constricting part. Those are the actual constricting parts of an economy, not just because, well, we can't have, we can't have 2 trillion in debt. We just can't. They, they can't really tell you why they try to make it look like a household budget, which it's right. not because you can't print money in your basement. I mean, you could, but you get <laughs> I tried that once. Yeah. You get Secret trouble, Service had an opinion it's, on it's that. It's hard to get the paper, too. You can't even buy the paper. <laughs> but, uh, oh, God, you but, know too uh, much about this. But the thing is, you know, there are those limits and they're real. So if you were to put too much money into circulation at once, and there wasn't enough labor, not enough of labor existed, even in any labor wage, to get the job done, then you would cause inflation because you'd have too much money in the system and not enough labor. Or if you had too much money in the system and you didn't have enough steel to build build these mm. things, and yeah, it would drive the price of steel through the roof. So there are limits. But uh, yeah, you're right, Hart. It's what you spend it on. That's well, I think we've got something going on in the uh, global economy and the trickle down. For instance, all those five things that Lonnie uh, just mentioned there uh, as capital, um, but he didn't mention the human capital. And here's what we have now on the global market. So um, drug trafficking, of course, uh, ganders, just a huge amount of money. And it used second used to be arms trafficking. Now it's human trafficking. Hmm. Right. So human trafficking is becoming this really big, huge pulling down billions and billions of dollars out of uh, countries worldwide. And uh, all of that represents monies and human beings as resources right. that could be plowed back into those countries, into societies. So we are now uh, sort of like locusts on, on the human population, the have-nots. And I do really mean the really uh, worldwide have-nots that are actually being uh, plucked out of their home countries and trafficked across uh, the world. This is not possible without the powers that be being part of this. Oh, wow. Just like the, the military industrial complex, which is basically about, you know, my bomb is bigger than your bomb and all of that, that we are now replacing some of that with the trafficking in uh, human beings. And I'd like to recommend this book to you. The, the new, new Jim Crow, book, yeah. Uh, with the Ford by Cornell West. Yeah. And, you know, the new dream, Jim Crow is a um, increasingly societies that are not looking at human beings as human beings, but in fact are looking at them as commodities. Mm. 
Right. And that's something yeah. very new. So we're back to, Lonnie said, 1897. Mm. That was after the Civil War. Right. We now have more slaves on the planet today than we had in 1830. And I'd add one thing to that, what you said, Jeanette. <clears throat> there is only one economy in the world today. That's the global economy. The U.S. economy does not exist anymore. The EU's economy does not really exist anymore. They're all so interconnected, they act as if one huge economy. It's a global economy. H half the American companies that are on the stock exchange are only American because they're chartered here. They do business all over the world. Right. The financial system operates worldwide. They don't care whether you're Deutsche Bank or the Bank of England or Bank of America. It doesn't matter. That system is all one big conglomerate. And it's all handled by just a handful of people and organizations. And so we're all a part of this slavery. We're all a part of this, uh, what's going on. You know, when you see uh, people starving in Rwanda, we're a part of why they're starving because it's one big, it's one big thing. I have a couple of follow-up questions for Jeanette. One is what are the economic forces behind the human trafficking? And another is how is our military industrial complex contributing to that or involved in it? I mean, you're preaching to the choir. I know the CIA is 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 involved in every kind of organized crime but well you are right when we're talking about the uh global economy and how human trafficking figures in there one thing that we see now along with this rise of the global economy is the uh rise of organized crime now we're a country supposedly of laws but there are other countries out there that are the wild west right and there are no, not even any attempts to uh, rein in human trafficking, okay? So the- So what you're saying is- Let's just is put it this a... way. When, when we have, you, there's some misconceptions here that need to be cleaned mm. up first. So human what... trafficking in the United States is not the foreign born. It's our citizens that are being trafficked, not immigrants, not the refugees, U.S. citizens, okay? When you're talking about people being moved around from country to country, you're saying, well, how is that possible? Well, uh, I would say they've definitely got cover from different governments. Right. Let's just put out Boko Haram and Joseph Kony with their massive child armies right, that are engaged. You, we just recently had that one incident among many where they just moved into a village and captured all of the children in a school. Mm -hmm. right. Okay. Usually there's no follow-up or they can't get them fast enough. It was a, really a miracle that they got those children back because what those children represent is they would be sold. Okay. Those, those are commodities. Some of them that they feel that they young enough, uh, can be traumatized, raped, beaten, whatever, and, and made into part of their armies, uh, made into child soldiers, okay? And then for certain, for sure, all of the women 
would be uh, trafficked uh, for sex trafficking. So this complex is definitely, um, it's demand. There is huge demand for mm. human commodities now. Mm. So, so you have the businessman out here that says, hey, I want to lower my overhead, especially my labor costs, and they engage in labor trafficking. Mm. So okay. what you're saying, Jeanette, is if I'm a U.S. chartered corporation and I'm doing business in one of these countries and I find out that one of my subcontractors that I depend on uses this uh, child labor or if one of my companies or one of the people I have to pay off in a country I'm in is in or is tied in with Boko Haram, then then that happens. And there's laws against that here, but because they're operating in a country where there are no laws like that or weak laws or laws that aren't enforced, then they get away with it. So the U.S. company that makes a cell phone benefits from this. And ultimately, we as consumers benefit because we're able to buy the product cheaper. So in a way, we all have a hand in what's going well, on. In some you, you are right. And when it comes to the military industrial complex, there isn't a country, you know, in Africa uh, that the whole continent is being exploited. All of the resources are being moved out of that uh, continent. Now, let's look at a commodity that's very valuable, like uranium, okay, where most of the uranium mining is, in fact, in Africa. So you have child armies like Joseph Kony or Boko Haram that, in essence, act as armies for these otherwise legitimate uh, businesses and corporations. And so they have child labor literally with uh, humans down in those mines without any protective gear or anything mining uranium, and you're pretty much going to be a goner, okay? Because you're you're going to be you're going to be buzzing with a, a Geiger counter for sure, okay? So a legitimate company couldn't actually get away with that, right? So they have the subcontractor, like you're saying, Lonnie, and then in order to protect those. Uh, trafficked and captured workers down in that uranium mine, you have to have an army uh, circling around that to make sure that prying eyes mm -hmm. that want to know don't interrupt that process. Like Blackwater. Mm. Yeah, you are right. You are right. You're a private, right. A private army. Uh, yes. The private armies, unlike state actors, right. Uh, don't have, uh, uh, they don't adhere to any so new, uh, UN or, or country protocols. It's, right. it's basically the wild rest we're yeah. cutting in the so if, we, so if we were wanting to go get bananas out of Guatemala now, instead of sending 5,000 Marines in like Eisenhower did, we would just send a private uh, army. Uh, unaccountable like army, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> 
Well, I, 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 this is a rich topic, and we could spend the whole show on it, but um, I, I would love to turn our attention to maybe some more optimistic things for 2021. Uh, and I know Hart wanted to talk about the possibilities for Medicare for All in this new year, and then I know Lonnie saw a couple things in the news he wanted to chat about. Let's start with the Medicare for All issue, though. I mean, this is something we've been working on for so, so long. Why are you optimistic about that this year? Um, well... <clears throat> Optimistic? Is that an overstatement? <laughs> <laughs> there, there's a, a movement going on now, Force the Vote. It was initiated by Jimmy Dore, uh, who's a comedian who has a great online uh, news show. Uh, and uh, so the idea is that the, the okay, we're going to elect a new Speaker of the House mm -hmm. in January, or new or old Speaker of the House. It could be Nancy Pelosi, or it could be a Republican challenger. The Democrats have a bare majority in the uh, in Congress, so if all Democrats voted for Nancy Pelosi, then Nancy Pelosi would would get the speakership. But these, but you know, Democrats are not pushing for Medicare for all. Nancy Pelosi has not pushed for Medicare for all. Uh, even the progressives like uh, are not pushing for it. So Jimmy Dore is saying, you know, hashtag force the vote. What we could do is progressives say you're not going to vote for Nancy Pelosi for Speaker unless oh. uh, she she gives uh, you know unless she promises on video or in writing to bring Medicare for all to the floor for a vote that might lose there but she hasn't even you know allowed it to be voted on uh so it makes all the sense in the world one would think that oh if, if the progressives withhold their vote from nancy pelosi does that mean that the republican challenger gets it well they looked that up and they add the thing is nobody gets to be speaker really? without the vote of even four or five progressives or true progressive people that give lip service to medicare for all people that campaigned on medicare for all sure alexandria ocasio cortez ro Khanna, pramila jayapal uh uh, uh rashida talib uh, uh ayanna presley did i say her twice no nope. but um so there you know there are there are like 60 people in the in the progressive caucus and uh, you know, people that even people that give lip service to Medicare for, but anyway, so if the progressives just withheld their vote, then Nancy Pelosi couldn't be speaker. And uh, uh, hypothetically, if Nancy, if the Republican would win that, if they didn't have the progressive vote, who's that? Whose problem is that? Whose mm. fault is that? Nancy Pelosi. Eighty-eight percent of Democrats. You're supposed to be a Democrat, Nancy Pelosi. Eighty-eight. <laughs> believe in medicare for all but you're holding it back whose pockets are you in yeah just a question has she said why what her reason is for holding back you're asking me to provide a rational answer no i'm wondering if she has no. well <laughs> the, the the real thing is i mean you know the mainstream democrat the corporate democrats are are nowhere close to being able to be influenced it's the progressives that are giving lip service to this. Mm. It's like, and they're, you know, they're so why 
so AOC, why not now? And there's all this line that stream of excuses as to, oh, we need we need more grassroots support. 88 percent of Democrats is not enough grassroots support (laughs) or you have to be a professional certified Medicare for all activist. Otherwise, you know, anyway, Jimmy Dore is not a professional certified Medicare activist. I don't think Uh, it's just popular among Democrats, though. And the opponents of the opponents of Medicare for all are only a small part of the medical industry. Not that's small, true. but they're only a part. The only ones that are really against it and they're funding all the fight against it are the insurance companies. That's right. That's yeah, right. the pharmaceutical companies. The, the hospitals yeah. aren't fighting against it. The AMA's oh, okay. not fighting against it. Huh. It's the insurance companies. Right, and the pharmaceutical companies because, you know, the pharmaceutical company, they, we develop patents at government, at taxpayer expense, and these <laughs> patents get handed over to the pharmaceutical companies. A patent is a monopoly. They're able to charge monopoly prices for drugs that people need. A lot of that would go away under uh, under Medicare for All, or at least, you know, you would think that, that, that if Medicare for All happened, that the public would get tired of paying exorbitant prices for drugs that that they you know that were developed at public expense yeah the one senator who wanted to put forth a bill that would force the uh government when they make these patents available that would require there be issued at least three licenses not just one. Oh, huh so that there would be competition between right. the three companies to bring the price competition down. what do we do that can you imagine that <laughs> but you know that's the other thing in economic theory that always got me it's like oh we love this free market co- competition system that's the only thing that'll work until you go to work for a big corporation i worked for two big ones back in the day and the first thing you hear when you walk in is kill the competition yeah. <laughs> right. You know, I mean, oh. wait a wait a minute now. I thought we loved the competition. No, not really. But and, and sounds good. Medi- right. Medicare for all would help stimulate com- competition. Is that what we think? Well, the presumably Medicare for all would go hand in hand with the government being allowed to bargain with pharmaceutical right. companies. Right. You know, yeah, okay. cur- currently the Veterans Administration yeah. can bargain with pharmaceutical companies, but the government is not allowed to bargain with pharmaceutical companies. <laughs> uh, wow. So, so, so that that's a little bit of a I, I'm speculating a little bit that bringing pharmaceutical companies under control would be uh, part of Medicare for all. But one thing's for sure. The, you know, Medicare for all would eliminate the private, uh, you know, private insurance companies, right. which are, it's like, you know, you've got a mafia. It's like these places you know, are, there's like 25% administrative costs. Or when you see a commercial on TV, why oh, do they, so why, many of those. when you see a commercial on TV, they're, you're paying for that. Yeah. You're paying <laughs> for a, them to tell right. you how great they are. In a better world, in a much better world, we would already be in the early stages of Medicare for all. And our big problem right now, and it would be a welcome problem to have, would be how we were going to transition all the thousands of people that, that have jobs in the, the insurance industry would transition to be work working in, a, in another job or, mm-hmm. in a, or within the Medicare system to help, you know, with administrative things. That would be a welcome problem to have, but no, we can't even have a conversation like that yet because we're nowhere close to having Medicare. Mm. Bro. 
Well, what about this uh, chip that the pharmaceutical companies have over us right now, uh, like uh, vaccines, for instance? What about it? Well, hey. What are you thinking? Well, you know, maybe the, I believe in the backroom boiler types of conversations that go on outside of the rest of our ears and where don't push Medicare and Medicaid for all or else you fill in the blank oh. <laughs> where the vaccines are concerned, right? It's, it's a real slow rollout right now, right? It does seem slow, but <laughs> it's it, it is a massive I, I, I global think they problem. I the blackmail too. game. Yeah. I think, hmm. I think I'm, like, I'm trying to be, Jeanette, I'm trying to be cautiously optimistic. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, well, Lonnie, let's. I'm a socialist, okay? That's where the word social worker comes from. I'm a socialist, and I don't trust Big Brother. Yeah. Right. I really don't. Right. Well, Lonnie, let's share some of those, uh, okay. those pieces These are of three news. Quick ones. Yeah, three yeah. Quick ones. These are the, what makes me cautiously optimistic uh, right now. Well, first of all, is the main one. As much as I wish we had. Uh, nominated other than Joe Biden. Uh, I, I am happy that come January 20th, and at least two areas that were mentioned by Noam Chomsky, we may be a little bit safer. And one of those is uh, we'll no longer have a president with a quick draw on the button of the nuclear code. Yep, yep. The other thing, he did say that he would immediately rejoin the uh, uh, what's it? <laughs> that he would immediately rejoin the Paris Accords. So, right, right. Even though that's a pretty tepid uh, uh, group anyway, uh, it's at least a start. Yeah. So I feel cautiously optimistic about that. But actually, I read a couple things in, in the news here just today and yesterday. One thing was uh, I noticed that uh, an article in the New York Times which said that General Electric, who by the way, I think went bankrupt uh, a year ago or so, or Chapter 7. Uh, they have somehow developed the world's largest uh, turbine, wind turbine. And it's in operation in Rotterdam, and it's it's supplying electricity to about 12,000 homes. And, wow. Uh, and the experts are just really uh, all raving on right now about the future of wind and how it could be a real game changer. Uh, that was one thing I read. The other thing I read was just not an hour or so before we went on the air here. Uh, I follow a, a, a magazine called Radio Insight. It's just about the radio business. It's for radio nerds like me. <laughs> and uh, But they, they post when people change their formats. And just in the last couple of weeks, there have been two uh, stations who have changed, flipped their formats from a conservative talk radio format to a music format. Hmm. Now that's something that, that like goes against what's been going on. It's been flipping the other way. So we've got these two uh, stations that have flipped uh, from talk, uh, conservative talk to music. One of them happens to be in Flint, Michigan, which I, oh, wow. Interesting. and I'm thinking, well, you know, maybe, Conservative talk radio hit its zenith, and maybe now it's going to start going into decline, which those things at some point do. In the radio business, that's what happens. So. 
Well, it's really part of the conservative infrastructure that that got us to this crazy place where someone like Trump can get elected, where where they have their sort of own news ecosystem and and their own reality with alternative facts, right? Right. Um, and, and and of course, Fox Fox News is running scared right now because they're afraid of lawsuits from that company <laughs> that made the voting machines, Dominion. I mean, they're running scared. They backed up all those things. They, they were making claims that they made. They're walking those all back. So that makes me cautiously optimistic, too. You know, Of course, a lot of that, that, that conservative spin has moved online. Uh, and, and there yeah, are, well, you know, all kinds of online news, uh, quote unquote, news sources. But, and but their media. audience, the Fox News audience is generally much older people. Right. That, that get most of their news on cable. Yeah. So it, it might be positive. All right. A couple, couple bright moments maybe for, for the start of 2021. What do you got heart? Uh, let me mention this. Uh, I'm going to look into this wind turbine, but I've, I've spent the last, uh, you know, the better part of the last 35 episodes on the climate report critiquing Biden's climate plan I find it to be what might be called green capitalism. And mm. uh, one of the things that I've, I don't think green capitalism is, is going to save us. One of the things that conclusions I've come to is that, you know, we need to stop confusing high priorities with, uh, with medium and low priorities. To me, mm. solar power and wind power are a good solid medium priority, but you know, that, you know, Biden's climate plan has all this stuff. We need new, whole new industries and we need all this technology and this will create jobs. Right. I say we need to eliminate half of the economy. Mm. We need to eliminate <laughs> the, the half that, that, that is, that oh. is bad, you know, on a net basis. We need to eliminate the defense industry. We need to stop building all these new cars. We need to stop building uh, all these new planes. If we're still if we're still consuming the same amount or more energy ten years from now, we're not going to win the climate game. Mm. We need to consume a lot less energy of all kinds. Right. We need to stop churning out technology. I did a whole ep couple episodes on child slave labor in Congo, where companies like Apple and Microsoft and uh, Volkswagen and Daimler Benz. Uh, are are profiting from you know there's a Chinese company that goes to Africa to buy the coal coal is either coltan or cobalt I think it's cobalt they buy the cobalt that's mined from child slave labor in Africa they uh, assemble our technology in China and we have the power and we have the intelligence if you will in the sense of we know what's going on these these are billion dollar companies don't tell me that they can't control uh, how their precious metals are acquired mm. and whether they're acquired from child slave labor or or uh, or in a way that's more ethical mm. so if we don't if we're still consuming all this energy we're not going to win the climate game if we're still getting our products from slave labor it doesn't matter what else we do right. as long as half the globe is living on five dollars a day or less uh it, it, you know they're not gonna be on board with sustainability mm -hmm. right that's right go ahead well, that's, that that's been i've been banging that drum for a long time <laughs> heart and i'll tell you what Todd Rundgren, I, I, I don't want to work i just want to play on my drum all day. I, 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 <laughs> 
I get more I get more pushback against that from progressives and socialists than anybody else. Huh. Because there's Send because them to me. I'll, progressives I'll and social progressives and socialists, myself included, we 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 want we paint this picture of a utopia where tech going to save us it's going to it always has and it will again is what they say and it'll be a utopia and we won't have to hardly sacrifice anything and everything's going to be wonderful and and it's just not and i'm with you if we don't reduce our consumption none of these other uh things have a chance and when it comes to technology i've done some studying on that and if you chart technology over the last thousand years and you chart uh, emissions, just uh, just emissions, and you start seeing where it starts spiking, emissions start spiking every time there's been a major change in technology, oh, some yeah. new invention. Every time there's a new invention, it, it, it makes the efficient, it makes it more efficient. But because it becomes more efficient, the price comes down and people use more of it. One of the mileage standards on cars went up and now you've got cars making 30 miles, 30 miles a gallon. Did that cause emissions to come down? No, that people just drove more. Mm -hmm. they, mm -hmm. The gas was cheaper. Mm -hmm. And so the, the, we used more. So whenever you have technology, the, the history has been, that we don't use less as a result, we use more. Now, I'm not saying we don't have technology. I'm just saying we need to have a, a, a sensible way of rolling out technology with rules and regulations in place that just don't make it, you know, the worst thing that could happen, now, this is what I really get uh, uh, pushed back on. The worst thing that could happen is tomorrow all at once, We've got free energy from the sun. Oh, yeah. And we don't have to use any more oil or coal or gas. Because I'll tell you what'll happen. The price would come down on energy to close to zero if it was all free. And we would start chewing up every other natural resource on the planet. Exactly. Every bit of steel, exactly. every bit of everything. And not just this planet. The water, the <laughs> land. And we wouldn't have any arable land left. <laughs> not we just this planet, any. right. We'll find other planets to destroy. That's right. So that's what would happen. Well, my and, and, and my planet is not enough I, to destroy. When I say <laughs> that, progressives look at me with these big eyes. It's like, what are you talking about? I said, just check the history of technology and then you'll see what will happen. Well, what if, you, what if you you didn't have to put any gas in your car? How much more would you drive if it cost you zero to yeah, power your good car? Point. Yeah, you'd run the wheels off of it in two weeks. <laughs> Jeanette, what'd you want to throw? Yeah, in? Hey, I, I'm going to end with my you know since uh, it's the human factor. Yep, yep. Uh, to me, that uh, matters. What I am really hopeful for is that we now have the have-nots that are actually rising up and saying, we're not going to take it. And they're also doing some homework. Surprise, surprise. They're actually reading, they're studying. Because, uh, you know, I've gone down to uh, ground zero, what was ground zero downtown, talked to protesters, et cetera. 
And it's like you messed up. You gave me cell phones. Yeah, those people. And, uh, you know, they were actually citing a lot of things, right? So I am very hopeful that uh, we have that consciousness raising. Okay, we can't hope to tackle climate change, political issues or anything without that consciousness raising. Mm -hmm. And so I'm really hopeful for that. Now, on since um, Hart and Lottie were talking about the energy issue, I'm going to take you back to 1970, which was the first Earth Day. And we said on that day that we need to have zero population growth by the year 2000. Instead, we have tripled the world's population. And it really doesn't matter whether uh, we have wind in it or any kind of en energy if our population can, you know, can, it, it continues to grow like this, yeah. okay? It, it's, we're out of control. Human beings have now become the locus of the planet. And so with more technology, more energy use, uh, more people using that technology and energy. Okay, so that is directly tied to the issue with the population is directly tied to uh, women and the yeah. empowerment of women oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and the issue of access to birth control um, the uh, issue of inequality uh, that we have. Women are 52% of the world's population, yet, you know, we have crumbs. Most of the world's women have crumbs. Right. And so we will not sustain this planet without a rise there. So everything is tied together. Right. But the human, what what we do with humans and how we have a consciousness, a moral consciousness raising, a spiritual consciousness raising, an environmental consciousness raising, and that we state right is right and wrong is wrong. That I am really hopeful for, that we now have the have-nots actually speaking and, and we're hearing their voices. That's what gives me hope because the silence is what allows all of the rest of it mm -hmm. to run unabated. And so I'm, I'm really hopeful for that. Thank right. you for having me on the show. Yeah, we're almost out of time. Hart, one last thing you want to throw in before we go? I want to echo what Jeanette is saying, because to me, climate, after 280 some episodes, I've concluded that climate is a human rights issue first and foremost. Yeah. If we don't give humans the rights they deserve, we're not going to solve the, the climate problem. That, that's yeah. all. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, to plus, end on. if we have this free market, free for all, if we have this illusion of a free market, which is just a way of letting a few powerful players run roughshod over everything and everybody else, then you know that's where our climate problem is coming from. Just not having our resources managed and maintained by the you know the by a democratic majority. 
Well, I want to thank you all for ringing in this new year with me uh, here on Truth to Power, our uh, new year, new 2021, uh, the dawn of 2021 show for you. Uh, we'll be back again in a week's time. My name is Justin Mogg, host of Sustainability Now, and with me here in the virtual studio was Hart Hagen from The Climate Report. You can hear it every day on this station at 7 p.m. Lonnie Griesbaum from Backtracks and Jeanette Westbrook from The Human Factor. And uh, we'll, we'll be back in your ears again in one week's time, everybody. See you then. Be well. Thanks. Thanks, Scott. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Happy, Happy New, New Year, everybody.